lead. Mick Dittman is squeezing through on naturalism's emanations there with heroicity. And here comes Viander Cross. Viander Cross down the outside is motoring home. Naturalism the leader. Viander Cross inch by inch is wearing him down. Naturalism still in front. He ran out near the line, but naturalism wins in a half. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Pride's Easy Feed. Do any of your horses struggle to finish their feeds during a racing preparation? Have you been unhappy with the way they look on race day? Do what many other trainers do with those finicky horses and introduce them to Pride's easy performance by stimulating their appetites with Pride's highly palatable set recipe feed, you might find they're not leaving a flake in their feed bins. Correct nutrition helps racehorses to deal with the stresses of racing and training. It helps them to get that elusive win when they're in the right race, and most importantly, helps them to bounce back after the event. Pride's easy performance provides the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses get to the line while helping them to maintain inner health. Pride's Easy Performance, the complete nutritional feed for equine performance athletes. New South Wales Western Districts Racing has produced a number of brilliant jockeys over the years. Jockeys who dominated in the region for decades and who more than held their own with city counterparts whenever a good bush horse brought them to town. For sheer dedication and consistency, Dennis Firth ranks among the all-time best of the jockeys who made their names on the Western line. Dennis won a couple of apprentices' premierships in the late 1960s, and one of them also gave him the senior jockey's title. On attaining his senior status, Dennis supplied himself with great resolve season after season and from 1970-71 he put together 16 consecutive premierships. Veteran racing students believe his long-time association with trainer John Lundholm was numerically one of the most successful partnerships in the history of country racing. He says he never got to ride a horse of exceptional ability but was connected with some great bush gallopers. Dennis had his final race ride in 1991. He didn't intend to retire, but he suffered a nasty leg injury in a canamble jump-out, and by the time he'd recovered, the desire was gone. For the next 14 years, he operated his own milk run in the town before opting for retirement with a spot on the Canamble Jockey Club committee to keep his eye in. This is a long overdue podcast with a former outstanding jockey. Dennis Firth, great to catch up. Thanks, John. Same here. Well, mate, apart from an amazing number of premiership wins, you finished your career with 1,499 winners in an era when you rarely rode more than once a week. That's pretty right, John, yes. Saturdays only, wasn't it? Yes, pretty well. Then you you were born in Canamble in 1949 and you're still there 73 years later. It's a town you love. Yeah, 1950. 
born in 1960, John, yes. Sorry about that. I clipped one off. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a bit older. You've never looked like leaving Canamble. No. No. What, what is it about the place? Oh, I'm blowed if I know, John. That's where Great all your friends are. Yes, yes, yeah, I suppose. But uh, like all like all country towns, they're getting smaller and smaller and uh, the bigger places like Dubbo and Dubbo and uh, Orange and that are, uh, uh, are eating them up. Now, then, was the thought of becoming a trainer ever on your agenda? No. <laughs> Seven days a week. And uh, and the travel the travel now would be unbelievable, especially in the bush. Mm. You know, like uh, they they could be uh, they could be here here to today, and uh, t- and tomorrow, like the races are on nearly seven days a week now, and uh, and the next day could be uh, could have to travel three or four hundred kilometres to mm. start one. You know, it's. Um, now, things have changed a lot. So Greg then. Ryan gave it away only about 12 months ago, Dennis, and I think it was the travelling more than anything else that wore him down. I'd say it'd have a fair bit to do with it. Mm. But uh, I suppose the only, the only uh, good thing about the, uh, uh, the travel today, the jockeys, they don't have to ride track work. No. Or the majority of them don't. But uh, in my day, you uh, you rode track work six days a week, you know, uh, and uh, they were long hours, and then travel of the races, you know. Mm. I mean, you were travelling too, but you're only doing it once a week. That's the difference. Yes, yes, yes. I think I'm right in saying you really hadn't thought about retirement right up to the time of that jump-out accident that left you with a badly broken leg. What changed uh, your mind then? When you were back on your feet, did you consider riding again? No, I reckon I did me nerve, John. Do you? Yeah, yeah, and uh, um, I'm not ashamed to admit it. Hmm. That um, realised there and then. Yes, and then I uh, 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 brought the milk run and... Um, Got on the committee at the uh, Canamble Jockey Club, mm. and and we're, I was still on it until about three or four years ago. Yeah, yeah, and they're and they're uh, they're trying to get me to go back on it. Yeah, I suppose. Mm, well, why not? You've had a lifetime in racing, and you've got a lot to offer. So, then, what sort of things were happening in races towards the end of your career? Was it was it simply a case of not? pushing through an opening the way you would have three or four years earlier. Yes, I suppose so, John. And, um, you know, you just, you, you just, you, you know, you know, you know your time's up. Mm. You know, you know the, the, I suppose, I suppose uh, 12 months before I retired, you know, uh, before the accident happened, uh, yeah. I, I was starting to, um, yes, Know that uh, time's getting close, mm. but it does happen. You know, it, ha- it happens. Most most don't admit it. You know. Yeah. What age so, were you then at that time? Forty-one. Right. Yes. 
Yeah, and you'd been yeah. going for a long time, hadn't you? Your, yes. Your family history in Canamble is fascinating. Now, your great-grandfather, Henry, was making sulkies and coaches and horse-drawn farm equipment in the late 19th century. Has any of his work survived out there? Yes, a fair bit. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, sulkies and that, you know, like uh, they're, uh, they're, they're pretty hard to get on to too because people don't want to give them up. No. The Perriman Firth sulkies. Yes, no, a, there's been a lot of them done up and things like that. Mm. Stuff made by Henry Firth in the 19th century. Yes, and then grand, my grandfather used to, uh, he, he used to paint, do most of the painting on the sulkies when he became old enough. Did he? Yeah. Yes, and then uh, and, uh, plus uh, blacksmith type type of stuff too, but uh, mm. then, Dad, then Dad became a, um, a farrier blacksmith. Yes, your dad, Neville, he was a good farrier, wasn't he, for many yeah, years. Yeah. He had a lot of work in the region. You used to yeah. go along with him to the racing stables. Yes, yeah, so I used to have to uh, knock, the, knock the old nails out of the, uh, out of the shoes and uh, put the four shoes together and... Uh, and while he's while he was plating them, and uh, because in those days, which is different today, uh, completely different today, uh, they plated the ho- They uh, took the shoes off and put plates on the horse horses, the race horses, at the races or before the races. You know, a lot of times at the races in uh, in hundred and hundred degree temperatures. They earn every dollar they get, Dennis. Don't yeah. they? <laughs> yeah, it's good too. but today, today uh, there's uh, there might might not be one shoe put on or one plate put on a horse at a race meeting now because they race in these uh, uh, race in work in these victories now. That's right. Which, yeah, you and had that, a pony from an early age, and you tell me from about twelve or thirteen. You were sneaking over to the Canamble Racecourse early morning and while no one was watching, you'd park your pony on the outside of a thoroughbred track worker and you'd go with it for a couple of furlongs. That pony yes. of yours must have had a bit of speed. Yes, it did. Won, won a lot of pony races and that. Yeah, she was, I, I, she was only 14, 14, 14 one hands, but, uh, but I think... Uh, Dad's not alive to ask him now. I never ever asked him, but I think she might have been out of the thoroughbred or buy a thoroughbred or something. Yeah, pony, buy her out of a pony. Yes. Well, yeah. it must have been during one of those little scampers that the first thought of becoming a jockey entered your head. Is that when the bug bit? Yeah. Yes. Pretty well, and getting around with with Dad to um, to stables and things. Mm. Yes. You stayed at school longer than most, and you were 17 and a half when you left, halfway through fifth year. What sort of a scholar was young Dennis Firth? Pretty ordinary. <laughs> were you? I didn't run last, but I was down the back. Were you? Yeah. With the also ranch. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yes, John. 
Well, you were a very lucky young bloke in being able to gain an apprenticeship with a legendary trainer and an extraordinary horseman in John Lundholm, who died just six years ago at 85 years of age. Was he a good tutor of apprentices? Yes, yes. He, uh, and he, um, uh, attention to detail mm. was his, um, was Johnny, you know, and uh, very good, very good horseman. And um, yes, I rode, uh, rode, rode for him for 25, 26 years, yes. Mm. Yes. You tell me there was nothing he couldn't do with a horse. He was one of very few galloping trainers, for instance, to shoe the majority of his horses. And for many years, Dennis, he'd have 44, 45 horses on his team. That's it. Yes, he did. Uh, Johnny, uh, he he did his, uh, uh, he did his apprenticeship as a farrier at uh, at Randwick, in the middle of Randwick. Uh, I don't know who to, I can't remember. He probably would have told me, but I just can't remember. And um, when the when the farrier shops used to be in the middle of uh, Randwick Racecourse. Did you live in Dennis or did you go home in those days? No, home, home, home. Rode the pony over, over early in the morning and, Rode it back over in the afternoon after school. Hmm. Well, John Lundholm treated you like a son, and you tell me his wife Colleen was an absolute saint. Sure was, John. And uh, yeah, just like a se- second mother to me, unbelievable. Hmm. Yeah, I thought I uh, absolutely thought the world of broke my heart when she died. Oh, dear. He must have been a terrific judge of a horse, Dennis. He he seemed to know when to step them up to stronger class and sometimes he knew exactly when to take them to the city. Yes, he he sure did. And um, uh, he, I suppose Johnny, um, uh, he, only, he only had... Uh, one thing he used to do wrong, mm. he uh, he took on these uh, mongrel things that uh, other trainers um, uh, didn't couldn't handle. Uh, couldn't help himself. Yeah, and uh, bad horses, in other words. Mm. And uh, and he he even knew, and he I don't know how many times he said to me, shouldn't even be taking this horse. Oh from Sydney or wherever, and shouldn't he? Because he had a reputation mm. for, for uh, straight, straightening those sort of horses out. He said, "You know why?" Because he said, "If if this horse was any good, if it could gallop, there's always someone that can fix it up, straighten mm. it out." Yeah, and uh, he said so. They'd, they'd keep it, you know, that trainer would keep it and get someone yeah. to fix it up. Right. Yeah. It was the challenge to John, wasn't it? Yes. The yeah. challenge. Yeah, he couldn't help himself. No. He created the dynasty, Dennis. His son, John, was another great all-round horseman 
and his grandson Clint, who's based at Dubbo, never stops winning races. He's won more than 30 races in New South Wales so far this season, young Clint. Yes, good effort, isn't it? Terrific effort. You've never forgotten your first ride in a race, and it was at Galagambone at their once-a-year meeting. The horse was called Schoolport, and you're yes. the first to admit it wasn't a pretty ride. No, they're, they're once a year now, John, but back mm. in the day, yeah, day because a lot of there was a lot of people with race horses in Galar in those days. They mm. used to have about five five or six race meetings back um. back in my career, mm. like in the in the uh, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And uh, but now they only have have one, like mm. a lot of a lot of race me uh, race clubs now. Yeah, they've only got yeah. Yes, yeah, and uh, yeah, I drew sixteen, and I never, and I was still sixteen wide when we went past the post. <laughs> you, you no, barrier, no barrier trials in those days. You got lost on it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't be a jockey alive who hasn't done the same thing, Dennis. I don't know, but uh, no, there's no barrier trials in those days. No. Well, mate, your first winner came in late 1965 at Gilgandra. It was your only ride of the day and it was a mare called Post Free, trained by your boss. Yes. Yeah, she, uh, Johnny loved her. She, uh, and I only knew I was riding her about, I suppose, half an hour before the race because uh, in in those days and for a fair while after, they, uh, you didn't have to uh, accept for them until uh, until the race before, you know, about half an hour before. Mm. Yeah, he just walked to the, went to the secretary's office and paid up for them. But uh, that's how things were back in those days, uh, out in the bush, yes. You've never forgotten your first city winner. It was at Royal Randwick. Horse's name was Big Day, trained by a very astute man, Jim Barker, at Warwick Farm, and you wore the colours of a man who'd burst onto the scene in a very big way as an owner. Stan Fox, you must have worn the grey with the purple seams. Yes, I think so, John. I just can't remember the colours. Mm. I know... He did have those colours. Whether he, whether he did at that time, I don't know. I suppose he did. Yes, he would have, yep. Yeah. But and, what a uh, thrill. First up at Randwick. Yes, I'll never, I'll never forget it. I, I walked out of the, when they called us out of the jockey's room to mount up, or, or you know, to go out to the enclosure. Um, I went out and um, I couldn't see Jim and I couldn't see um, uh Stan Fox, you know, I'd never met him before, but uh, and I just sat in on the step. Next minute, um, I'll never forget it. Stan Fox walked up behind me and he said, Dennis, my name's Stan Fox. Yeah, how are you? And uh, great big cigar. Yeah, he was smoking and um, I nearly fainted. <laughs> yeah, I oh, know he, uh, he was a very outgoing man, a yeah, yep. lovely man. Yeah, and he's. And then he said, uh, I believe your father's a blacksmith. And uh, he said, I was too, but uh, uh, they called uh, farriers blacksmiths too, back in those days. Mm. You know, uh, 
that uh, I think Jim was, uh, sorry, Stan Fox was a blacksmith in uh, a different way. You know, he didn't shoe horses or something. No. Anything. Yes. Now, Dennis, was this the day when you had your first brush with a diuretic or a fluid pill, as they called them? You needed to lose one pound on the day and somebody talked you into swallowing one of those pills before you got into Jim Barker's car to go to the races. Yes. That, that I... pill worked a bit quicker than you expected. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, uh, go- going back a little, uh, the night before, mm. um, I I flew down to Sydney and uh, I don't know uh, how I got it. Went, got from the airport out to Jim, just can't remember. Mm. And then I walked into uh, Jim's big old house there, and uh, here's this great big photo. I'll never forget it in the uh, in the lounge room. Uh, it's, it's one of the biggest ones I've ever seen, it? and it was George Barnes, mm. and that was his, um, the boxer, his son-in-law. Yes, yeah, his son-in-law. Yes, yeah. I'll never forget the big photo there, yeah. and then. Uh, the next day, uh, I said to one of the boys there at the stables, you know, one of these uh, apprentices or whatever, and told him he had to lose a pound. And uh, he said, just take one of these Lasix. And he gave me one, see. And I said, when will I take it? He said, take it just before you get in the car to go to Randwick. And I, I'm sitting in the back seat of... of uh, Old Jim's Mercedes and his wife's in the front with him. And uh, it's the longest trip I've ever had in my life. I can tell you. Oh, dear me. Yeah, yeah. don't forget those things. Now, your, uh, first, your first city winner for the boss, John Lundholm, was Gay Beeritz in a race at Canterbury. Yeah. And Gay Beeritz was owned by an iconic horseman by the name of Stanley Wooden who'd been a top trainer in England before he became a breeder, and he brought the sire and the dam of Todman to Australia, and he was responsible for so many other great horses. Now, John Lundholm had a connection with Stanley Wooden, didn't he? He got to train horses that were not up to city standard. Yes, for the Woodens, and and some that were up to, you know, uh, city standards, you know, like uh, he got a lot, he got a lot, a fair few of them young, you know, the horses young type of thing, you know, and uh, the, uh, they had a pastoral company at um, the Wootons at, uh, called Wansey at Cumnock, and uh, I think the connection there was that uh, uh, a fellow by the name of Bryant Gavin, he was married to one of the Wootons, uh. and... Uh, he was. Uh, that's that's where the connection was with Johnny, I think, in the f- first place. Mm. You got to meet Stanley Wooden only once and very briefly at Randwick, yeah. and it had quite an impact on you, didn't it? Yeah, sure did. Yeah, he'd he'd have been uh, um, well in his eighties at that stage, and uh, he uh, still living in England and. Um, uh, I don't know how often he came out, John, but it uh, probably came out once a year. I don't know, but it was the the um, uh, the, the Wednesday of the um, 
Easter Carnival, mm-hmm. Randwick. And, um, yeah, never forget the day, yeah, when I, when I had to get on uh, uh, Conra for Johnny and um, and uh, that's when I met him. That's right. You won on Conra for John Lundholm. It was all-age stakes day. It was the day Gilt Patton beat the great Mayor Leilani in the all-age stakes. Now, when you won on Conra, a very young Ronnie Quinton ran second. Yes, he was a bit older than me, Ronnie. He, uh, he had been uh, roughly, roughly, 1975, I think, mm. Johnny. Yeah. Well, John Lundholm had another runner that day in the Country Cup. It was future fashion. You couldn't make the weight. Ron Quinton actually rode future fashion to win the Country Cup. And your boss had landed a double on the third day of the AJC Autumn Carnival. Dennis, that's a hell of an achievement for a bush trainer. Yes, John, yes. Yes. They, uh, uh, you wouldn't see it happen very often, would you? No. Well, just stay with some of your city winners for a while, Den. You once wore a very famous set of colours when you rode a horse called Ballad for Sir Brian Crowley and trainer Vic Thompson Sr. in an apprentices race in Sydney. Better horses than Ballard carried those colours, the dark blue with the orange diamond. No, well, I, I was, uh, I suppose my my earliest memories of uh, horses were, were when I owned a girl owned, owned by Bill Longworth and Sky High and Sky High and Skyline owned by uh, Sir Brian Crowley, yes. Mm. Yeah, and um, they always stuck in my mind. Yeah, it was, it was a feather in your cap to be brought all the way from Canamble to ride one in an apprentice's race in Sydney. that That's how well you were going. Now, Gary Cooper, not to be confused with the Hollywood legend and the star of my favourite Western, High Noon, trained his horses at Warren. For most of the time, he was the only trainer at Warren. He brought a horse called Baz Rama to Canterbury one day and he brought a young Dennis Firth with him to ride Baz Rama. A fellow, uh, fellow by the name of Neville Marks owned it. He, he, uh, he was the president of the Western Racing Association in those days. Yep, I met Neville Marks several times. Yeah, yeah, you would have done, yes, yeah. Mm. yeah he was uh, very heavily involved in racing all his life. How's this for a race program on Saturday, February 25th at Royal Randwick? Two Group 1s, three Group 3s. Sharing top billing are the Chipping Norton Stakes and the Surround Stakes, each offering a purse of $600,000. Now, to say the Chipping Norton has been won by some great horses is a gross understatement. This race has been won by many champions since its inception almost a century ago. Windbag, three-time winner Loch Ney, Farlap, Burnborough, Tullock won it twice, Superimpose won it twice, Octagonal pinched it in 1997, Tie the Knot made it his own in four consecutive years and it took the great winks to equal that record and then there was Very Elegant in 2020 and 2021. The Surround Stakes was inaugurated in 1979 to honour the memory of the gallant grey filly who won the 1976 Cox Plate. Many three-year-old cults have won the great race in its century-old history, but Surround is the only three-year-old filly. 
On a sentimental note, the great Guy Walter will be honoured by a Group 2 race carrying his name and sponsored by Jamie Walter's Proven Thoroughbreds. A remarkable horseman and a universally respected man, Guy Walter died suddenly in 2014 at just 59 years of age. The golden slipper picture will look a little clearer after the running of the Sweet Embrace and the Skyline Stakes on the same day. Sydney will host elite racing every Saturday right through to the championships on the 1st and 8th of April. Now, what about Nate of Orchid, Dennis? You won a couple of city races on this beautifully bred mare in the Stanley Wooden Colours. John Lundholm was the trainer. She won one at Rose Hill and one at Canterbury. You've never forgotten that one. No, no. Uh, she was, uh, she was, oh, well, we, we knew she was good before we got her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but uh, she was, uh, uh, like a lot of Todmans, she had crooked legs. And uh, uh, she won a maiden and then an improvers. I don't know. Uh, they, back in the day, there was a maiden, two improvers, two progressives, mm. two intermediates before they became open company, horses in the bush. Yeah. And uh, uh, she won a maiden and then an improvers. And Johnny said to me, he said, uh, no good at mucking around with her. She's too good. He said, uh, we'll start her in a open company race next time in because she sort of broke down, or not broke down, but uh, something went wrong mm. and uh, had to be turned out and brought her back in and we started in a flying handicap at Narromine and uh, he said, we'll just start her in this and uh, uh, and then take her straight to Sydney, which we did. Yeah. She won both. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But, uh, I can still see you winning a race at Warwick Farm one day on a horse called Skipper King. You drew the extreme outside gate and he had plenty of weight too on the day. Yes, Johnny had two stone over the limit, which was uh, which is uh, 60 and a half, uh, or 60 and a half, and uh, the, uh, the bottom weights had uh, 47 and a half. Goodness me. So he had to give a, give a lot of weight away. You thought he'd struggle, didn't you? Yes, yeah. He'd won at Canterbury before that, the start before, before that, but that was in one of those graduation races where we're all set set weights. Yeah. And um, he won it be a fair way too, a long way. Mm. But uh, then uh, at Warwick Farm, I, I was pretty pretty worried about where he drew and um, and the weight he had. But uh, he, he he won it. Okay, anyway. Yeah, he was too good for them. Yes. Back in those days, I was working for 2GB and the Macquarie Network, and every Saturday we'd present a sponsor's trophy for the best ride of the day or the best training performance of the day. Dennis Firth won a bottle of Teacher's Highland Cream Scotch Whiskey on one occasion and a silver ice bucket. And you tell me you've still got that ice bucket. Yes, I think so, John. Yes, it's there, yes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but the uh, 
the bottle of scotch is gone. <laughs> I'll bet it has. I think that was for Skipper King from memory. Yes, yes, John, that's right. Bush jockeys rarely get to ride in Group 1 races because most runners in those races are trained in the city. You picked a filthy day for your one and only Group 1 ride in the 1989 Sydney Cup won by Palace Revolt. The track was a mess and your mare, Marlotta, was hopeless in it. Spot on, John. Spot on. And she, she would, she, she, uh, when you think about it now, like I was talking about 30 odd years ago, uh, she couldn't run two miles down a well anyway. <laughs> but, uh, but she was hopeless on that ground anyway. Mm-hmm. While we're on Marlotta, then we should say she was a pretty good staying mare. She won 14 all up. You won 11 races on her, including three in Brisbane, a Kembla Cup over 2,600 metres and an Orange Cup. She was a nice mare. Yes, and she also won the uh, the cup race on uh, the distance race on on the uh, Magic Millions Day at the Gold Coast as well. Mm, what a good record, eh? Yeah, she beat a beat a horse uh, horse that day from uh, they brought over from New Zealand. Neil, Neil, uh, God God bless you. Uh, Neil Williams rode it. Mm. Uh, yeah, he was the gun at the time in uh, in Brisbane. He certainly was. Then your good mate Harry Troy still dines out on the fact that he had a race ride on fine cotton long before the infamous race in Brisbane when Bull Personality raced under his name. You too had a ride on the real fine cotton at Dubbo three years before the sham. He was pretty slow, wasn't he? My bloody oath he was. <laughs> he, he mostly raced at the picnics. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, uh, yeah, uh, uh, a fellow by the name of Bill Payne, uh, I think he's. I'm pretty sure that's that was his name from Wellington. Was the trainer? He, he, yes, owned, owned and trained him. Yes, mm. yeah, and it's the only time I, uh, I didn't, I didn't realise I'd written him. But uh, then, when looked through the books there one day, a few couple of years ago, um, my brother and um, nephew picked it up, picked up on it. Yeah, it's a good conversation piece, though, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Yeah. You've always said a grey horse called Gundrift was probably the best horse you ever rode in races. He had joint issues, he was never fully sound, and as a result he was never fully fit, but he still managed to win a number of races before breaking down. He was by Gunsin then, you remember him well. Yes, uh, John, uh, he broke down as a two-year-old. And I remember uh, 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 January as a two-year-old, Johnny said, we'll take him up to Brisbane for a two-year-old race in Brisbane. And uh, he'd only had one or two starts at that stage and um, and he'd won. Uh, then we... T- on the way up there, Johnny said, this is stupid, you know. And I said, why is that? He said, we're taking a horse up to Brisbane that's only half fit. 
But he said, he's that good, he said, you'll still beat him. Mm. Which he did. And then he broke down after that. Yeah. Never ever. He wouldn't have been a quarter of the horses of what he should have been after that. No. Do you think he would have made a stakes horse had he stayed sound? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, did, and Johnny was a per. Johnny was a person that um, that uh, he never ever ever wrapped horses up. Mm. But uh, he said exactly the same thing. Mm. Gunsin got only four stakes winners before being put down at 16 years of age at the Kiora Stud. Clary Connors trained one called Bensind, uh, which won a stakes race, but overall the Gundawindi Grey was never able to produce one uh, within cooey of his own great ability. It happens no. time and time again. Uh, you rode some terrific old horses in the bush. What about Lord Dante? You won 25 races on him. He must have carried a bit of weight. Yes, John, and he, he, uh, that's how I, I started ride, riding him uh, because I was, in a seven, I was a seven-pound, I, I think, seven-pound apprentice when I started riding him and he was, he was carrying a couple of stone over the limit in uh, roughly, uh, oh, you know, like... Uh, uh, so he was carrying uh, 60 and a half and, the, and a lot of the others had 50 and that, uh, the limit, you know, was roughly 50 and that's how I started riding him. But he'd won just as many races before I started riding riding him in races mm-hmm. than what I, I won on him. Did he really? Yes, but back in those days there was a number, I'm not saying a heap, but there was a number of horses... Um, that won um, won that amount of races, mm. you know, a few horses type of thing, because uh, the the way they weighted them compared to um, compared to today, they can't do it today. No, it's an from your Canamble base, you've got to ride at some far away places. How far away did you get? Um, Louth, out to Louth. Burke, even though Burke was in our area, uh, one uh, part only ever rode at Burke a couple of times. Um, but Louth and Angonia uh, a couple of times. Mm. And uh, But then again from, uh, I'm talking about out the back blocks that was, but uh, mm. rode, rode at uh, Bathurst and uh, Cowra and all down that way a fair bit. Yeah. Your record in country cups was stunning. Here are some you won at least once and often two or three times over. Orange, Dubbo, Canamble, Coonabarabran, Cowra, Parks, Mudgee, Galagambone, Walgett, Colorenebri, Gunnedah, Gilgandra, Narramine, Wellington and Bathurst uh, that you just mentioned. You won a Bathurst Cup on a Tommy Smith cast-off Called Court Prince, so uh, he had a wonderful run in the Bush Cups. Yes, John. Yes, and uh, uh, but, uh, Johnny uh, Johnny didn't um, only ever rode uh, one one Country Cup, uh, one Canamble Cup, eh? mm-hmm. uh, because Johnny uh, didn't start his good horses in, or he did in the early sixties, but they. 
uh, when uh, before just before I kicked off and everything, and just as I I was kicking off, uh, he won a few Canberra Cups and World Festival time. But uh, after that, uh, when the better ones came along, uh, he didn't start in the uh, Canberra Cup or in the Cups because uh, it had break their bars in Sydney. Yes, and uh, he. Uh, a lot of others just started them in the cups, but uh, Johnny wouldn't because, uh, and I could understand where he's coming from too. Mm, a very astute uh, man, John Lundholm. You rode four winners in a day numerous times. You won five in a day a few times. You must have gone yeah. close to winning the program a few times because they only had six race cards in those days. Yeah, there was. <laughs> Sometimes they had five and sometimes they had six, but when they had the six, when I'd ride five winners, that's when they had the six-race six, six race programs. <laughs> yes, exactly. You didn't have it all to yourself out west. You rode against some pretty tough competition, jockeys like Ned Doherty, Reggie Payne, Harry Troy, Wayne Wheat, Merv Singho, Matey Malloy, from time to time Leon Fox, and I apologise for any others that I've missed. Uh, but I've left one for you to mention, Den, a Walgett jockey who you regard to this day as the best rider you came up against in the West. Yes, John, uh, Robert Bradley, um, he, he just made less mistakes than anyone else. Mm -hmm. And every and uh, every horse he rode, uh, he gave him. Always had him in a position to win, and uh, he he didn't ride as anywhere near as much as um, uh, what any of us did. Uh, any of the rest of me, he, he, uh, he'd rather go on a holiday. Mm. Yeah, and uh, now he's he he was. Uh, I suppose the easiest way to explain him. Uh, in a uh, way, is uh, if if he had my dedication, or vice versa, I had his. Uh, if he had my dedication with his ability, he could have been anything. Yeah, is that right? That's a big he statement, got, then. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, couldn't could not speak more highly of him, Robert. Bradley, I know a lot of yeah. country racing people will be fascinated to hear that. You tell yeah, me the late Reg Payne did you a big turn in a race one day. Yes, at Cowra. Um, uh, I don't know, can't remember the horse I was riding and uh, uh, in a flying handicap there at Cowra one day and uh, uh, my horse clipped the heels of one in front, dipped and went down and... Uh, as it went down, he he grabbed the seat of my. I don't know uh, how you how you'd do it, but uh, he must have, must have reacted pretty quick. Uh, he grabbed the seat of my pants and uh, lifted me up, and uh, <laughs> as, the horse, as the horse came back up under me, uh, I'm he's put me back on the seat. Yeah, and you got you home know, safely yeah. thanks to a very yeah. unselfish act from Reg Payne. That's the sort of bloke he was. Yeah, yeah. Pretty well, yeah, yeah. No risk in the world about that. Yeah, unbelievable. 
Your wonderful mum, Joan, passed away only last year at age 94. She must have been your most avid fan all those years. Yeah, she, um, uh, she's a great woman. Yeah. Um, she's a good woman, all right. And uh, now it's uh, it's tough when you lose your mother, Johnny. Oh, my word, it is. And that, that applies yeah, to... Even at that age, you know. Yeah, certainly. What a great innings, 94. And she had all the faculties. Mm. Yeah. You have one brother, Rodney, who never pursued a career in racing, but he did learn to shoe a horse in his early days, taught, of course, by your dad, Neville. Uh, he, he didn't learn to shoe. He was made to learn to shoe. <laughs> Is that right? And, and of course... Uh, Dad, Dad had too many to shoe, and and uh, he he uh, the pony his pony probably needed shoeing, and Dad said, I think Dad might have said to him, uh, "You're going to learn to shoot, shoe it, so I don't have to do it," yeah. which he did. But uh, and Rodney prob- probably said, "Well, Dennis didn't have to learn," and I think Dad might have said to Rodney, uh, "No, because he's too small." <laughs> <laughs> that was the excuse, and it was the truth too. Yeah, that's how I got out of it. You've got two daughters, Dennis, Kim and Skye, who were both pony club devotees as they were growing up. Yes, more, more so Kim, John. Yes, the youngest one. Yeah, took her, used to take her everywhere to Jim Carners and everything. You remain in close touch with your sisters, Annette and Wendy. Wendy happens to be married to the amazing Brian Fletcher, a bloke who's crammed a hell of a lot into one lifetime. After 10 years with the Canamble Shire Council, he landed the job as CEO of the Hawkesbury Race Club, and his achievements in that job over 26 years are legendary. He's now the CEO of the Panthers Group, a fabulously successful corporate force in addition to the deeds of its rugby league team. You go back a long way with Fletch. He's always loved a race meeting and he's always loved a punt. Sure has. Yeah. He's, uh, he doesn't go overboard in the punt, but he, uh, he loves a punt. i got to tell this lovely little story about Fletcher's punting activities. Years ago, he was part owner of a pretty ordinary horse that he thought was a certainty one day in an improvers at Walgett, and he had one of the biggest bets of his life. The horse got beaten, and he had the temerity to suggest that his future brother-in-law had perhaps given it a quiet run. You must have been deeply hurt. I was his brother-in-law at the time. (laughs) That made it worse. Yeah, and uh, him and his mate, mate, uh, Don Lupino, um, they... they still have a shot at me about it. And um, uh, and the reason being, John, uh, I, I said to Johnny, oh, I want to ride such and such in the race. Anyway, Johnny Johnny said, oh, you better ride, uh, I can't think of the horse, drifting something, mm. drifting boy or something, I don't know. And uh, you better ride uh, Fletch, uh, for Fletch and uh, Don Lapino. And I said, no, nah, no, nah, I want to ride it. No, nah, you better ride it. I ride over there. 
So Brian and Don knew that, that I wanted to ride this other horse, and that's why they've come up with the, uh, that I've given a quiet run. Goodness me. But it was just no bloody good, John. <laughs> hey, Dennis, that's usually the case. That's right, that's <laughs> yeah. right. And he won't let it rest, will he? He still brings it up at family gatherings. All the time, all the time. But I'll tell you what, my sister always sticks up for me, but Wendy. Yes, yeah. S- sibling yeah. love, it's called. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's one bloke we haven't mentioned, Den, and we cannot conclude this podcast without paying tribute to the late Bob Foran. A remarkably versatile man. He called the races in the northwest for decades. I know he called more than 60 Gilgandra Cups. He was also a very capable horse trainer and you had the great pleasure to ride a few winners for him. Yes, he was a, he was a great man in every sense of the word. You know, terrific bloke. Yeah, for sure and certain. And uh, the better ghost story, Johnny. Better ghost, that's right. That was at Wyong. Now, that was the day the judge, uh, for whatever reason, misread the photo finish print. He put up the wrong number. You thought you'd got beaten. Yes, yeah. There was about four horses went across the line. Together, and uh, the horse he declared that I think I uh, I think we had two horses in between us. Mm. Wayne Harris was on uh, on the one he declared uh, put up as the winner, and it was trained by Pat Farrell, Wayne's master yeah. at the time. And uh, um, when we ca- I. I I, well, I didn't really know whether it won or not because it's that far apart. But I, I was hoping I did and thought I could have done, you know. And then when we came back, um, yeah, the, and I was sitting in the jockey's room there and I, I'd gone, been weighed out, weighed back in and uh, been in the jockey's room there for a while. And then and then Wayne, I think Wayne came in and said they've changed the placings. And, and I think you'd know... More than me, Johnny B. Uh, if you were there, I think some of the bookmakers paid out. They'd already paid out mm. on the on the on the winner, or right. the put up as the winner. So it was some time after before you found out Better Ghost had won, trained by Bob Foran. Well, just shows you how long after. I I was the slowest person in the world having a uh, a shower after the races. And I'd I'd had a shower, and uh, oh, I had you know I had a shower and sitting there, and then uh, came back out, and that's when Wayne said, and then I I quickly got dressed and and went looking for Bobby and um, the owner, which was his uncle, uh, Hugh Williams, and they were loading the horses on the float. Because he started Veritas that way that day as well, mm. he ran and um, and as it turned out, better ghosted one. And yeah. uh, as I said, they, they were loading the horses on the trailer float, and I went up to him and I said, uh, I said, 
She says, no, what happened, don't you? And I said, no. I said, uh, uh, better ghost has won the race. Goodness me. Put the wrong number up. Mm. Anyway, uh, they were as happy as Larry then, but uh, that's yeah. how long it Could have been an hour him. later. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Just unbelievable. Well, Dennis, we're out of time, mate. It's been a lovely trip down memory lane. You were a master of your trade in an era of great country jockeys. And as I said earlier, you lost nothing against your city counterparts whenever you came to town. 1,499 winners competing largely on Saturdays only. Congratulations on a great job. Well done, Dennis Firth. And it's been a delight to have you on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Thanks for your time. Thank you, John. Do any of your horses struggle to finish their feeds during a racing preparation? Have you been unhappy with the way they look on race day? Do what many other trainers do with those finicky horses and introduce them to Pride's easy performance. By stimulating their appetites with Pride's highly palatable set recipe feed, you might find they're not leaving a flake in their feed bins. Correct nutrition helps racehorses to deal with the stresses of racing and training. It helps them to get that elusive win when they're in the right race, and most importantly, helps them to bounce back after the event. Pride's easy performance provides the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses get to the line while helping them to maintain inner health. Pride's easy performance the complete nutritional feed for equine performance athletes.